Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast with me, Andy Sylvester from the City AM newsroom. I'm delighted to say in a few minutes I'll be joined by the Chief Economist for Lyft and formerly Uber, John List, who also happens to be an esteemed behavioural economist at the University of Chicago and also the new book, The Voltage Effect, How to Make Good Ideas Great and Great Ideas Scale. He'll be with us in just a few minutes, but first the headlines in the Square Mile this afternoon. And soaring inflation eroding Brits' living standards is something the country needs to get used to, City's top economists warned today. Fresh jobs figures published this morning reveal take-home pay is being squeezed by the cost of living crisis and suggests it's a sign of things to come. Real earnings slid one 1.2% in December, meaning households are unable to maintain the same level of spending than before, according to the ONS. The latest damning standards figures are something we're going to have to get used to, Paul Dales, who's the chief UK economist at Capital Economics, warned. The ONS's figures also illustrate the tension in the jobs market is intensifying. Vacancies scale to another record high of 1.3 million, while there were 4.3 empty roles for every 100 jobs in the UK, also a record. Former post office sub-postmasters and mistresses have called for former bosses to face prison time as they continue to provide evidence for the public inquiry on the Horizon scandal, which started this week. More than 700 branch managers were given criminal convictions between 2000 and 2014, when faulty accounting software called Horizon made it look as if money was missing. The system, developed by the Japanese company Fujitsu, was used for tasks such as transactions, accounting and stock taking. Some went to prison following convictions for false accounting and theft, following the system's shortcomings and many were ruined financially with reputations damaged. Meanwhile, Glencore boss Gary Nagel hailed 2021 as an extraordinary year for the miner today. The group reported an 84% jump in earnings driven by record surges in global commodity prices. The company paid a poor billion US dividend to shareholders as it reported record adjusted profits of just above 21 billion US last year. Glencore also said it had set aside 1.5 billion within that to pay for the cost of investigations into bribery and market manipulation. And fellow miner BHP, now registered solely in Sydney, having given up their London listing last year, announced a record 7.6 billion US half-year dividend too. The firm repeated its intention to transition to a future-facing commodities business in due course. Um, I'm now joined by Jack Barnett, our economics and markets correspondent, just very briefly as we look ahead to tomorrow morning. Um, Hard to shake the suspicion that there's more bad news on the way when it comes to inflation, Jack. Yeah, so obviously you touched on some of the figures there from today's um, jobs uh, print. I mean, the consensus for tomorrow is that inflation is going to go higher than its near 30-year high than it did in December. And the city record is going to be 5.5%, which again is just, you know, it's it's an even more indication that today's figures about real incomes being squeezed to the tune of 1.2% is actually going to go even further. So the spread between wage growth and inflation is just going to widen. Um, That has, again, we've, we've said it before, it has really severe implications for the UK economy because we're so heavily reliant on people spending on services and people just spending, you know, across mm. the economy. Um, and if people have got, you know, if, if, if their budgets are being squeezed and they're, they're going to have to make um, sacrifices elsewhere, and I imagine they might sacrifice that pint over their energy bill. <laughs> yeah, indeed, they, they probably will. Um, the choreography tomorrow, 7am announcement as usual, um, and then the city will react as it always does, uh, not least because... Judging from previous um, ONS announcements on inflation, the words beating estimates um, probably be involved in the stories. Um, we obviously had a 5-4 in favour of a rate rise last time, but that 4, talking about a rate rise further and faster, um, City now pretty much pricing in a series of rate hikes over the year. But a couple more projections from... Uh, 
investment banks in the States about the UK's economic performance uh, in your inbox today? Yeah, so again, uh, we got Goldman Goldman Sachs today is saying they were pricing uh, two more rate hikes this year, um, which will uh, send rates to about 1.75% by November, um, which again, they've not been at that level since I think around January 2008. So obviously you're talking about financial crisis levels here. Um, and then JP Morgan, um, Coming out with fresh forecasts for the uh, for the UK economy uh, growth over next year, slashed by over one percentage point for the year down to around about three point eight percent. So, you know, you've got these big, enormous um, investment banks now who produce reams and reams of research on this sort of stuff. Now, actually, really starting to say, well, this squeeze on living standards is, is, is you know, is actually more of a headwind to growth than potentially COVID's going to be mm. in the next year. Amazing. Who would have thought that uh, inflation would beat the pandemic as a as an economic disruptor, a sign of how quickly we've shifted to um, to the new techie world order. Jack, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear more for you tomorrow after those figures are out. But now I'll turn to today's special guest, John A. List, a behavioural economist uh, at the University of Chicago, and also the chief economist of Lyft. His new book, The Voltage Effect, looks at how companies and ideas scale and why the ones that do take off do take off. John, pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. Um, there were a couple of thoughts I had reading through the, the conclusion of your book, particularly after the, the Super Bowl, for those of our listeners who, who watched it on Sunday night, in the sense that the Bengals' O-line was the weakest part of that team. It might be arguably why they lost. Um, and you were talking about the weakest link in any chain being the weakest link that could bring the whole thing down. And then that link back to a quote that, that you, you refer to from, from Tolstoy. So we're going high-low to start with in terms of the cultural references. Um, you know, <laughs> that, that every, every happy family is alike and every unhappy family is unhappy. In, in different ways. Um, talk to me about how those two to fit together to the five things that that allow a business or, or an idea really to scale. No, absolutely. So in my work on scaling, I, I really entered a world that was uh, a world of art. And the world of art, what I mean by that is people looked at scaling of ideas as a piece of art or uh, a gut feeling. Mm. So I added science to that field of art. And what I've been working on is really the science of scaling an idea. And what you find right away is most of the experts and the policymakers think that scaling is a silver bullet problem. Mm. It, you know, they say, well, does your idea have the silver bullet? And it's actually quite the opposite type of problem. It's a weakest link problem. And what I mean by that is I document five vital signs that if your idea has all five of these vital signs, you're in good shape okay. to scale. If it has any one flaw, then you're back in the Anna Karenina world. And I like to think of it as scalable ideas are all alike. Each unscalable idea is unscalable in its own way. But mm. I talk about the five key ways in which why ideas do not scale. Yeah, for sure. And that's it's interesting about those five ideas that you don't tell. You talk about false positives. And I, I'm, I'm going to make you say it because I, I read it in the book and I, I found it quite interesting. Tell me about your recollections of, uh, of Nancy Reagan and, uh, and the, <laughs> the anti-drugs campaigns. Absolutely. So turn back the clock to the mid 80s and I'm sitting in high school and a government agent comes in and says, 
You know, we have a, a drug problem in this country. Uh, too many teens are using drugs. And you know what? I want all of you just to say no. It was a social inoculation program called the D.A.R.E. program mm. that impressed upon us all that we shouldn't be using drugs. And I looked at my teacher and I said, you know, I don't use drugs myself, but I have a lot of friends who do. And there's no way this program's going to work. And my teacher looked at me and said, well, you know, John, you might be right, but they do have data on this. And, and they did have data, but in the end, it turned out to be a false positive. The, the data were just lying. There was never any voltage in the D.A.R.E. program that Nancy Reagan was pushing in the 80s. Yeah, so talk to me, talk to well, our listeners, I guess, about that. How do you define the voltage effect, right? It's the title of the book. It, it, it sort of it gives sure. a sense of the energy that needs to be behind any scaling idea. But in your own words, what, what does it mean to you when you're asked to describe it, like I'm asking you now? No, absolutely. So the book is titled The Voltage Effect. And the voltage effect is really, I want you to think about is when we, when we explore an initial idea or we look at an initial program, it might have great promise and it looks like it's going to have great impact. But then when we scale it up, there's actually a voltage effect. And in this case, a voltage drop mm. in that when we go from the Petri dish to the real world, we end up making a big mountain into a molehill and we end up with something that just isn't any good. So that's called a voltage drop. Now, on the other side, we have voltage, some ideas that have voltage gains. Mm. And what I mean by that is it looks okay in the Petri dish. It's a molehill, but when we scale it, it ends up being a mountain. And the whole, when you put all of these things together, we typically have voltage effects. Our ideas either go up in value or down. And the book talks about different ways to look at whether you have a good idea or one that can have high voltage or a bad idea, one that's going to have voltage drops. Yeah. And of course, I guess the one thing that's worth noting is that when we're talking about scaling and that silver bullet, there are, you know, there are some businesses that don't have all of the things that you look for, all the vital signs. And that's okay. And I've heard you talk about that before about, you know, the, the, not we can't all have you know scaling global businesses right that's the world the world just wouldn't wouldn't operate but you know when you it's not just enough to have those five vital signs right you still need the leadership you still need the data behind it to ensure that you 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 do in fact scale right because there are many great ideas have, have sort of never quite got there um so talk to me about your experience when you you talk in the book quite compellingly in the introduction about how you weren't necessarily sure that you were going to join Uber. I think it's fair to say that it was a little bit of a, an out-of-the-blue moment. What was it that convinced you that the world that you, the world that you were in before um, and that world of, of a scale-up, like a, I mean, a scaling business, um, scaled almost business like Uber? Um, talk to me about how those two worlds blended together for you. No, absolutely. So, so you're exactly right. When I first visited Uber, and it would have been back in 2015 already, um, I was initially taken aback by signs around the company that said data is our DNA. And I thought, wow, you know, have I died and gone to heaven? <laughs> and I started to talk to people, and it really was executed that way too. 
So it's executed around an idea that is inherently scalable. But you're right. If you don't execute around a scalable idea, you're dead in the water. If you don't use data science and good causal inference, you're dead in the water. And Uber is A++ at doing this. They not only talk the talk, but they walk the walk. They have data, which is the centerpiece of every major decision. Mm. And that data is drawn in a way that is very professional. I oftentimes say that I'm at the University of Chicago, but there's more science done every day inside of Uber than there is at the University of Chicago. That's how serious firms that use data are these days. Mm. And obviously now at Lyft, you talk up in the book about you know, do you ever find? I mean, maybe this is, this is more of a corporate question as a sort of business question. You know, you've come from yeah the academic world, behavior economics, fascinating research. You know, everything from you know preschool um, development through to through to just a whole number of other areas within the business. How do you ensure, with your role as a chief economist, that the things you believe in that that it does actually filter throughout the business, or does it have to be there from day one? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of each. I, I think you do need an open culture from day one. You you do need a culture that's built on innovation, exploration, but replication. And that replication should be done by a different group. So I oftentimes bring with me that this can't be the world that the same person who has the idea does the test and then does the retest. That, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. but. A lot of times our organizations are set up like that because you you end up eating what you kill in a lot of organizations that have silos or they're siloed. This is a common problem that when I worked in the White House, we had the same problem where people are siloed and there's not a lot of cross-fertilization. When you get large like Uber and, and Lyft, you have the same sorts of tendencies. Now, as an economist who can speak more than economies. I, I can speak business and, mm. and talk to people across the different silos or groups. I think that's super important in any culture needs folks who can go across the branches of the company and make sure that what you're finding in one group can cross fertilize and it also can be cross tested in other groups. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And certainly we've all been talking a lot about culture recently in these scaling businesses, including ones like Theranos that don't, as it turns out, have the scaling scaling element to them. Um, John, we're going to have to leave it there for time, but thanks so much for joining us. Um, the book is, I would say, certainly worthy of the reviews. One of it said it was an instant classic, so um, I won't try and go beyond that. John, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That was John List. His book, The Voltage Effect, it really is a good read. Um, Described by Cass Sunstein as one of the best economics books I've ever read. And frankly, Cass Sunstein probably knows more about those things than I do. Um, Do listen in tomorrow. We will have all the latest on the inflation figures and we'll look ahead to more tough decisions for the MPC.